Well, before the preaching time, we've been praying through a passage of Scripture, and it's been the Lord's Prayer. And we've actually come to the last part of the Lord's Prayer. But to make sense of this and to help guide our prayer time, I'm going to read you a couple other verses as well, right up before this. Jesus said this, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And here's the new part. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. So, taken at face value, this can sound a little confusing. Because here Jesus tells us to pray for God to forgive us. But then he concludes by saying we cannot be forgiven unless we forgive other people. So it's like the way that we earn our forgiveness is through forgiving. At least that's what it seems like on face value. But taken a little bit deeper and understood from all that the Bible says about forgiveness, we're to understand, we're to understand it in this way. A heart that has been forgiven, a heart that has experienced the depth of God's grace is able to forgive and desires to forgive. And in another sense also, for someone who has confessed their sins, for someone who has asked God for forgiveness, they're ultimately forgiven and they have a right standing with God. But that doesn't mean they stop sinning. And that doesn't mean that they won't ever have reason to forgive another person. Of course we will. And sometimes forgiving another person is going to be hard. So to the believer who has ultimately been forgiven, who is, has that right position with God, what this means is that God, if we are holding a grudge against someone else, can't use us in a certain way until we're willing to forgive. Can't draw near to us again. We don't experience the blessing of forgiveness if we withhold forgiveness from someone else. So this may be the most important prayer that we've prayed yet for you. Maybe you're having a hard time forgiving someone that has done you wrong. Maybe it, it has just happened recently. Maybe this is something you've been holding on to for a long time. And I always wondered, how do we know when we've forgiven another person? Well, I think we know that we've forgiven another person when three things happen. When we have stopped holding this wrong and bringing it up to them in conversation with them, when there's an argument about something else, 
we don't throw this wrong from the past back in their face. So we stop doing that. We stop bringing it up to them. And then we also stop bringing it up to other people. We stop making them look bad for what they did to us in the past when we're talking to other people about them. We don't do that anymore. And then the third step is the hardest. We know that we've forgiven that person when we stop bringing it up to ourselves. When we're getting ready in the morning or when we're sitting quietly, we aren't rehearsing in our mind what happened over and over and over again. When we have forgiven them, we've let it go. And we don't even bring it up to ourselves again. Is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is some, something coming um, to your mind? And another good test is, can you pray for this person yet? Again, forgiveness, or at least getting to a place of forgiveness, is a gradual process. It doesn't happen in an instant. So maybe your prayer this morning, maybe you're not yet there, but maybe your prayer is, God, soften my heart and help me to be able to forgive what happened. And God's going to honor that prayer. So I'm going to be quiet. And why don't you just take a second to either ask God for help forgiving that person or to forgive that person in your heart. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And then if you're ready, begin to pray for that person. Pray that God would bless them. Pray that God would use them. Where in the past, you were just angry. All you wanted was bad things to happen to this person. But now you want good things to happen for that person. You're willing to forgive and ask God for those good things. So spend some time praying. Father, we've all experienced 
the chains of unforgiveness and, and bitterness. We've all had wrong done to us, Lord God, and we also know that you are a God of forgiveness. So through the truth of what Christ has done for us to forgive us of our sins when we didn't deserve it, Lord, give us the power to forgive others of their sins against us, ultimately against you. Lord, help us to get there. We don't have the power in and of ourselves. Help us to get there to, to forgiveness. Help us to get there to where we're able to pray for that person. It's beyond us, Lord. It's not possible for us as human beings. But we know all things are possible to the one who believes in you. Lord, help us to get there and help us to experience your love and grace and forgiveness in an even deeper sense through it, through forgiving. Lord, demonstrate your power in our hearts where there wasn't a way before. Lord, make there a way. Change our hearts. Soften our hearts. Glorify yourself in us. And Lord, now I pray as we open up your word that you would open our eyes to truth. That you would open our eyes to the amazing truths of your word. That you would open up someone's heart to believe for the first time. That you would deepen the walk of, of people who have believed in you for years. That you would grow your church and, and move through us, Lord God. I pray for these, these things and these purposes this morning, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. In college, there was this church leadership conference. I went to Campbellsville University, and there was this church leadership conference on campus. And being a, a ministry student, um, I decided to go. They opened it up to everyone uh, to be able to go, but I went sort of not really expecting a whole lot. But when I went, what I heard was one of the most formational messages. I can remember this message like it was preached yesterday, or at least some parts of the message. It was like God was just speaking directly to me. It was a message called Compelled by Love. The speaker was Stuart Briscoe, originally from England, but pastored for 30-plus years in Wisconsin. And I looked online, and I found this article that based off this same message that I heard written by, by Stuart Briscoe. And there's this illustration in it that I want to share with you. Can't remember if it was a part of that original sermon, but it could have been a part of that original sermon. So listen carefully. The root of the human problem is the active disease of sin working within the soul 
and revealing itself in our thoughts and actions. So he's saying, what is wrong with the world today? The root problem is sin showing itself in our thoughts and in our actions. And he goes on, we look at the horrible things other people do and excuse ourselves. I think we all do that. We look at the bad things other people do and we think, well, I'm not that bad. Human beings are not unlike volcanoes. Inside a volcano, the pressure builds until the top blows with a dramatic eruption of lava. At other times, cracks slowly and gradually appear on the side of the volcano, and the lava flows out in a different way. So he's comparing us, and especially our hearts, the spiritual core of who we are, to volcanoes. Volcanoes, the lava is going to come out. Some through eruption, some through the lava just flowing out through cracks and fissures that, that are formed. One thing is common, the lava is going to come out. And he explains this, so it is with human beings. We never say that the circumstances in which a young person's character was formed did not have some impact on the way that he or she behaves. But inside each of us, there's a thing called sin. No matter what way our volcano was formed, whether we blow the top or leak streams of lava, it's the lava inside that the that's the problem. The ultimate disease, sin, is the problem. And there's nothing human beings can do about it. So what is he saying there? He's saying that the sin within is like lava. And some people express that sin in our thoughts and our actions. Some people are like volcanoes that blow the top. You can see their life and it's a mess. But other people express that sin in more socially acceptable ways. It's like lava leaking out of the cracks and the fissures that are formed. It's quieter, but it's the same problem. It's within. So the world blames past experiences for evil. When someone does something really bad, we always kind of psychoanalyze them and look at what happened in their past. And we should take into account what happened into our, into our past. But realizing that the past experiences that we have just channel our sin and the way that we express our sin does not create the sin inside the sinner. The real problem is the sinful heart no matter how that sin is expressed. Now, why do I share that illustration with you this morning 
beginning a sermon from Genesis chapter 1, the first day of creation. Last week we talked about the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1. Today we're looking at the first day of creation and how creation began. So why share about volcanoes and why share about human nature from the start of this message? Well, because day one of creation, God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. And just as he spoke into the darkness on day one of creation, God now speaks into human hearts to give new life. We may not be able to do anything about the disease and the pollution of sin within, but God can. He can speak life and light into our darkness. Day one of creation is compared to salvation later in the Bible. And we'll get there. We'll explain that. But first, let's go and read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, day one of creation. When everything came into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning one day. This is God's holy word. So to review last week, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was a time... Before there was time when there was nothing but God. And God was still infinite and perfect in every way possible. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit lived together in perfect love and unity from eternity past, and will always live together in perfect love and unity to eternity future. God has never changed. God has always been God. There's nothing deficient in God. There was nothing lacking in God. God did not have to create anything or anyone in order for him to be God. That's what we learned last week. The first verse in Genesis, it's like a summary statement telling us God is our creator. Everything has its origin in him. And then it's starting in verse 2, we're given more details of how God created. What happened on day one of creation. Verse 2 says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. 
Most scholars that I read seem to believe that this verse tells us that at first God created an unformed mass of matter and energy to work with. The earth was dark. The earth was formless. It was empty or, or void. It, it wasn't inhabitable, nor was it inhabited by anything. There was no life on the surface of the earth. And then God spoke. He spoke into the darkness. Let there be light. And there was light. So God showed off his power. God showed off his creative power simply by speaking a word and then it became. I don't believe he even had to create in six days. And, and just in case you're curious, I believe in a traditional 24-hour view of, of creation but I don't believe he even had to create in, in six days. He, he could have created everything there was in an instant simply by speaking a word. God is that powerful. The reason I believe that he created in six days was to reveal himself to us so that we could understand who he is as our creator more and the world in which He's created. Now, going back to the context of when the book of Genesis was written, the nations around Israel in the Old Testament had all sorts of mythological stories about creation. There were mythological stories about creation coming from monsters, from sea monsters. There are mythological stories of the battle of gods and that forming us and everything that there is. But here in Genesis 1, there's none of that. There's no chaos. You don't have any question about who's in charge here, about who's in control. That is Yahweh God. That is Elohim, our creator. And something else important that we must know about Genesis 1 and the days of creation, not only does this tell us about the origin of creation and the origin of the human race, this also tells us something about who we are as the people of God. Remember who the book of Genesis was originally addressed to. The Old Testament people of Israel, God's chosen people. This is telling the Israelites whom God had just rescued from slavery in Egypt that the same God who created the heavens and the earth is their God. They belong to him. We belong to him. And later in the Old Testament, we're given more about the history of Israel before Christ came to earth. One of the most important events that happened in the history of Israel was after the exodus 
after God redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt, as he led them through the Red Sea, parted the waters, he led them to a mountain called Mount Sinai. Moses, their leader, went to the top of this mountain where he met with God. And on top of the mountain, God gave him the law. And we hear more about the law in the first five books of the Old Testament. This is called the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, probably most of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments, at least, if not know the Ten Commandments by heart. They form the heart of the law. They're almost the law in a nutshell. There were a lot more laws for Israel. There were civil laws. There were ceremonial laws. There were moral laws. But the Ten Commandments sum up this word of God to the people of Israel. The law revealed to Israel and to the whole world what is right and what is wrong. What God loves and what God hates. What is good and what is evil. What pleases God and what doesn't. And we hear the same purposes for the word of God coming at us. And to all of creation, from Genesis chapter 1, God saw that the light was good. Notice the moral term that he used. God saw that the light is good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. God spoke, and he commanded that there be light. He commanded that there be light, just as he commanded Israel to obey him. He commands us to obey him. He separated it from darkness. God defines created reality. He made it. He commanded it. He spoke it into existence. It's not up to anybody other than God, because he's the creator. He's supreme. He's master. Everything has its origin in him. Now, why is this important for us today, 21st century people? Because we live in a culture that does not believe this, that hates this, that hates the authority of God. We, we live in a culture that says it's up to us to believe what we want. It's up to us to discover our truth. It's up to us to decide our own identity. We're supposed to find who we want to be and then go be it. The authentic self, as it is called today. We're supposed to, by our own feelings inside, go and define ourselves by that reality rather than the external reality that God spoke from the beginning of creation. 
And from the beginning of creation, God shows us how wrong we are when we try to find our own identity apart from him. He alone created and only he decides what is right for us. It's not our truth. There is only the truth. He separated light from darkness. He commanded all there was to come into existence. He decrees created reality. It all belongs to him and we belong to him. We are created. He decides creation's purposes and boundaries. We do not. And here's the point of all this. When we start to try to break away from God and try to decide who we are apart from God, it does nothing to change the real problem inside of us. The real problem inside of us is sin. It's that lava that is boiling beneath the surface. Our problem is that we're separated from God because of our sin. Remember that illustration at the beginning? It doesn't matter whether you're prone to oozing out lava from the cracks and the crevices quietly, where no one seems to notice, socially acceptable for the most part, or you're erupting everywhere and your life clearly is a mess and, it, and it's falling apart. It doesn't matter because we all have the same problem. It's the sinfulness of our hearts. It's our hearts that are evil and broken and dark inside. And apart from Jesus, all we ever do is sin. What the Apostle Paul is clear, what does not proceed from faith, meaning faithful motives of love for God, is sin. We can clean up the outside. We can make some good improvements in our behavior, in our thoughts. But ultimately, all of our efforts at, at trying to be good or trying to find our true, authentic selves are going to fail. Why, someone may ask? Because we cannot change our hearts. Prophet Jeremiah asked rhetorically, can a leopard change its spots? We cannot change our condition on our own. And just as God separated light from darkness in day one of creation, when we live apart from God, we find ourselves fumbling around in the darkness. We're always going to try to be grasping at something, always thinking we're almost there, we're, we're, we're almost there to finding who our authentic self is, but we're never going to find it. You can see this in the world. We try to, our culture tries to, to push boundaries, but when one boundary is pressed, there's always another boundary that's pressed. And another boundary, and another boundary. There's never any reaching it. Why is that? It's because we're broken inside. And the answer is never going to be found in self-discovery. 
It simply is not. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 6 gives us the solution. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just as God spoke into the primeval darkness on day one of creation and then created the world, there was light. He can speak into a human heart, into the darkness and the coldness of a sinful heart and create life. He can say, let there be light. And something comes alive in a person. And he does this, we're told, by the message of Christ. He gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This isn't a physical light. This isn't the light of what we reason in our minds. This is a divine and supernatural light spoken directly into the human heart. It's more than we can handle. It's more than we can do. But you know, this has happened. You know how this has happened? How do you know this has happened in your heart? We know it when we start to see Jesus for who he really is. We know it has happened in somebody's heart when they go from just simply knowing the facts about Jesus dying and rising, when they stop just going through the motions, external motions of of religion and they start to know with rock solid certainty he's my savior and I love him he stops just being this figure who's still a stranger to them outside of themselves to wanting him and treasuring him and loving him with all of their heart. Still a sinner, still going to mess up, but they know that Jesus has them. They know that Jesus, gentle and lowly, forgave them of their sin. And they want more than anything to know him more. He becomes their most faithful friend, their counselor, their Lord, their king. They don't want to live outside of God anymore. 
They want to follow closely the commands of Jesus. They trust that he knows best for them. They don't want to justify themselves. Talk about how good they are. They know how bad they are. They just trust in how much God loves them through Christ. They believe in the cross. They believe in the shed blood for their sake. They believe that he's alive. They talk with him. They walk with him. They they follow closely behind as their, their shepherd. They enjoy his tender mercies day after day. These are great high priests who suffered in their place. And they're willing to suffer for him, to follow him, to deny themselves so they can just have more of him, more of life with him and through him. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference in just having religion And just walking an aisle, and and just being baptized, and just coming to church, and just doing whatever number of religious activities, but, but never really truly knowing Christ. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference? in somebody who just has that external versus somebody that has seen the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you have it? Has God shined into your heart and said, let there be light? And how do you know if he has? Have you ever fallen on your your face and said, Lord, I need you. I'm a sinner. Save me. That's how you know it. I love Jesus. I want Jesus. That's how you know it. Do you have those affections for him deep within your soul? And something about light, too. There's this old Hank Williams song. I I like the song. I'm sure you like this song. I Saw the Light. There's a lot of good lyrics to that song. But one thing I think he he gets wrong, and he wasn't thinking on a super deep theological level here. So, you know, it's all right. But we don't actually, the point of it is seeing the light isn't seeing the light. C.S. Lewis actually made this point, so I'm not trying to be all smart. I'm just copying him. C.S. Lewis made the point, we see everything else by the light. Have your eyes started to work spiritually where you were blind and then now you see everything else. You start to see truth because the light has been 
shown to you in your heart. Christ said, I am the light of the world. And that gives even more depth to this because God said, let there be light. And in the human heart, God speaks Christ. And he comes in and through a relationship with him, we see truth. We see everything. We see it in a way that we didn't before. Where as before, we, we saw the commands of God and they were oppressive to us. It was like they were holding us back and wanting to destroy the fun that we wanted to have. But then when God turns on the lights, when when Jesus comes in, we don't see God in the same way anymore. We start to love his word. We start to rely on his commands, statutes, and decrees. I'm just trying to find a good example of this, but if you turn to Psalm 119, and you don't have to right now, how does someone start to speak like this about the word? How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction? Happy are those who keep his decrees and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have commanded that your precepts be diligently kept. If only my ways were committed to keeping your statutes. Here is a man that is singing a song about laws, about God's commands. In the redeemed heart, in the heart where Jesus has come in, you stop seeing God in the same way. You stop seeing his word to you, his commands to you as oppressive, as mean, as trying to hold you back or to hinder your fun. And you start to see that God is your life and he knows what is best and you yield your everything to him. And you want more than anything, though you're never this side of heaven going to be able to keep these laws perfectly, you want more than anything to grow in them, to grow in him, to obey him, to love him. So I ask you, does that describe you? Or do you still just have this external form of religion, not yet having Jesus inside the heart? Peter and John were asked by a crowd after preaching Jesus what we must do to be saved. What, what can we do? And Peter just said, repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're able to do that with sincerity in your heart, then it means Jesus has come. Will you trust in him today? Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I, I pray for a, a work of the heart that I cannot do.
that no human can do. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would speak Jesus Christ into hearts right now. I pray, help us to see Jesus. And for those of us who do have Jesus already, I pray that we would draw closer to him more than ever before. We would love to walk in the light. We would love what is true. We would love your commands. We would turn away from our sinful ways and trust in Jesus again. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Will you stand and worship and follow as God is leading you today? invitation of God is always open. You can be seated.
two quick announcements. Uh, one, um, I want to invite you to join us this evening for a dinner and a movie night. Dinner is going to be a fundraiser for the youth group to go to camp. And then the movie is going to be Show Me the Father. It has true stories of, of God's redeeming love. Powerful film. Um, also, we'll have child care with that. And they're going to be showing a children's movie alongside the Show Me the Father movie will be appropriate for kids. It's just up to parents which one um, you would like your kids to come to. If you can, let us know you're coming by signing up right outside the door to your left. Um, as you know, we had to postpone our deacons meeting and business meeting last week. Um, we're going to have that on the 20th. On Sunday, the 20th, uh, deacon meeting will be at 4.30, and then the business meeting will be at 6. Let me close out um, a benediction using a, a, something that happened after the resurrection. Jesus had joined two travelers, and they didn't realize it was the resurrected Jesus. It had been kept from them. And... They were talking about all that had happened in Jerusalem, about Jesus dying. And, uh, and it got to a point in the conversation where they were eating together. And he was speaking to them using the Old Testament scriptures about himself. And it says this, they came near the village where they were going. And he gave the impression that he was going farther but they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening. And now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him for he disappeared from their sight. Then they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? So I pray if, if God is working in your heart and he's opening your eyes to Jesus Christ, I pray that you follow him and obey him. God bless you. Have a good afternoon.